Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. When you walk into a liquor store, do you know exactly what you want? Or do you wait and let something catch your eye? Great artwork on a label is integral to breaking through the noise of a crowded marketplace. Brian Neufeld is behind some of the most creative labels in art in the Saskatchewan craft beer scene. And this year, he designed the Hop Circuit Glass. We're sitting down to talk about all the work he does and take a look behind the scenes of graphic design and beer. So let's get into it. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's your day going? Good so far. Yeah. Got up late. Now I'm drinking beer at noon. So pretty good so far, I'd say. <laughs> For those who don't know who you are, give me like the, the elevator pitch. Oh man, I have to sell myself on a podcast? Yeah. Who are you and what do you do? So my name is Brian. Uh, I'm a tattooer and uh, a graphic designer, illustrator, and that's pretty much it, man. Living life. Living life. Making <laughs> art. Immediately, I wanted to jump into the discussion of the hop circuit. How did you get involved with the glass from your perspective? So uh, Adam Smith over at Malty, I guess he was some head honcho on the hop circuit uh, committee this year. And I've been doing design stuff for them for a couple of years now. So he reached out and said, do you want to do it this year? Um, and I was like, let's make it happen. So it was cool to be involved with it. And uh, I had just done similar glassware for them like a couple months prior. And so I was already familiar with the dimensions and the format and all of that stuff. So it was, it was a, a super cool project. I was so, so stoked at how they came out. Like the printing was just mint and yeah, it looked awesome. So we got them done by grandstand. Okay. And they tend to do almost all of our glassware. Yeah. And the quality is nice. Like yeah. you, you touch it and you look at it, it's got that gloss yeah. on it. Yeah. It gave me nineties McDonald's giveaway glass vibes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I had a bunch of those with like the, the, uh, what was his name? The Hamburglar and all of that stuff, all his pals. Yeah, it was it was cool. So, it's not often that you see like a nicely printed full color glass like that. So, so when it comes to the hop circuit glass, what was the thought? What was the inspiration? So, the first sort of thought was how do I fill this space because the glass is kind of short, and it's basically this like cylindrical wrap that isn't actually that high. You don't have a ton of space to work with. So. The first thing I got think thinking about was sort of the actual route of the hop circuit. And I was like, well, it's not a straight, it can't wrap around this glass and be accurate. So how do I portray this sort of, this route feel, this beginning to end sort of um, thing on a glass? And then I got thinking about uh, Family Circus comics. Do you ever read Family Circus comics? I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's this like nonsensical um, well, some of them were, some of them were like, uh, it was like where the kids had been and it's this insane route where they're just like 
yeah, nonsensically, crazily going over their existing steps and it's these loops and, and whatevers. And they're cute and hilarious. So that's kind of what I wanted to do for the glass. And then, yeah, I guess uh, drawing hops in a way that feels new because every craft brewery ever has put a hop plant on a, a cone, hop cone? Hop cone. Yeah. Hop cone on a, on a can or on a T-shirt or on a hat. So I wanted to do something that felt kind of new and would look good with the actual method of printing. Um, I think at one point, I think you messaged me and said we needed to like limit the amount of colors. We had to pull back on one color. One color, yeah, because I had gone a little too, a little too crazy. But uh, yeah, that was that was basically the uh, the thinking behind it. I just I wanted it to to feel like it's I've I've, I've run into trouble before with the wrap feeling like the artwork was either too big or too small to do justice to the actual like cylindrical format. So, so I wanted to just make it work on there and then, yeah, I, I, that, that route idea, the, the little sort of checkered line that goes before and in front of some of the hops, I wanted to make that feel like this weird sort of imperfect nonsensical journey when I show the glass to people, first impressions, and I say, Malty's guy did this. Malty's they all, guy. They all go, <laughs> oh, yeah, this totally feels like a Malty vibe <laughs> on the glass. I like that. That's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We, we've done some weird beer labels over the years. Just uh, ones that I, yeah, labels I'm, I'm quite proud of. So it's, it's cool that... Uh, a brewery can have such a distinct look and feel, you know, in a city that's got a lot of of good beer. I like that you guys, uh, well, the Malty crew was able to kind of bring you in mm-hmm. and add to what we were trying to do with the Hop Circuit. Totally. With your art. Totally. Is there more merch that's going to be coming down the pipe? or There's stickers. Oh, yeah. But, cool. I mean... Next year, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. The the glass is kind of this is all a big experiment, right? Mm-hmm. So we really didn't know how would the glass turn out. We've never used this glass before. What would the art look like? We've never really done it before. It was yeah. flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. But uh, as soon as I put that glass in the hands of some some of the younger servers at every brewery, they're all like, "Oh my god, yeah. this is amazing!" The the positivity, the reaction has been amazing. Awesome. I had friends finish the hop circuit last week. Immediately, they're sending me pictures of their glass. They're like, look, I got it. Hell yeah. They're so happy. Well, nobody's doing glasses, man. Everybody's doing t-shirts, you know? I never thought of it that way. And I think having something that you, it's kind of a keepsake. You keep it away. You use it for something special usually. Or maybe you do it every day. I don't know. <laughs> it's up to you, I guess. But yeah. Where form meets function and art. Exactly. Look at you. Sounding like a design grad. <laughs> <laughs> I know that we really wanted to give somebody who finishes the hop circuit a memento that just grabbed them mm-hmm. and said, hey, I did this, and this is really great. I didn't want to give them a cheap tchotchke that was like, oh, this is cheap, and just throw it away. Yeah. I want them to put it up on their shelf and be like, that's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's kind of the, the goal with these things. You want to uh, give people 
something that they're going to keep, hang on to, be proud of. Nobody wants a, a giveaway t-shirt when they do a fun run that they're just going to turn into rags the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just, it's like, did you read my mind? We've literally done that. Yeah. <laughs> Mar- marathon shirts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You want to you wanna keep it. You want it to be something that you're you know, proud to, to don. You want it to be something that, um, yeah, you're proud to keep around. A conversation piece, as it were. How many beers have you designed? Um, that's a good question. I don't. I've stopped counting. Um, I don't do all of them. They do a lot of the stuff that they come up with in house. But uh, for Malty, I've probably done. I don't know between twenty and thirty. I know you did Champal. Yeah, I did Champal. Adam had a had a big vision for it, and uh, it took us like eight versions but eventually we came up with something that we were both happy with so yeah it was cool we just wanted it to look like a super crushable classic looking you know pilsner so something that's kind of like classy in a way but you know it's not classy (laughs) like yeah so that was a fun one um but usually they come to me and they just sort of say this is the beer name have at it and I just go for it. And They don't give you direction? No, not usually. Yeah, sometimes Adam will have an idea, and so I'll, I'll sort of follow whatever he had in mind, and usually it's, it's dope. But most of the time it's like the name is whatever. Uh, Mondo Robot Kitty. Exactly. Mondo Robot Kitty has no friends or something, <laughs> and I have to go and then just run with it. So, yeah, and I like working that way. I love having having not too much direction and lots of creative freedom. Usually we come up with something good. Sometimes they they put on the brakes and they're like, okay, we can't do this because this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, favorite label I've ever done for them because you asked uh, is Elgato for sure. That's a popular beer. It is a popular beer. It's my favorite for sure. It's got this lazy ass cat sitting on a towel at the beach and he's clearly a nudist cat. He's taken off all his clothing. And, uh, yeah, he's just a little rascal. I crushed an Elgato last summer, I think in like three minutes. Because I'd (laughs) gone on this four-hour walk out in the hot sun on a hot day. And I was like, I am dying. And I was right by the hospital. And I was like, I know exactly (laughs) what to do. And I stumbled over to Malty. I I was just like, just give me. Grabbed that Elgato and just... It was gone. Crushed it. Just inhaled it's it. It's a very refreshing beer. It was the fastest I've ever drank a beer. I was like, this yeah. is stupid how fast I drank this. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, they've been making a lot of those very crushable. Like, you can't do that with a New England. Maybe Nor- a Session one. <laughs> maybe a Session New England, sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Elgato is a delicious beer, and I'm pretty happy with that label. Yeah. When it comes to uh, essential elements for designing a label, I know we have to fight between regulatory requirements and then the, just the pure joy of creating something new. How do you approach it? Do you go crazy first and then let the regulators kind of step in, or do you always try to balance it? How does it work? So I like to sort of start with those regulatory components and then everything that I want to put in that doesn't need to be on the beer can, the pretty stuff, 
put in an afterward sort of around what needs to be there. Um, I often find if you do it the other way around, some of those pieces can look like an afterthought uh, and they don't really feel like they belong on the can or the label or whatever you're designing at the end. So if you start the other way around and you put those pieces in first, you can build everything else around it and sort of feels like it, it lives there. My approach when I'm like trying to conceive of a label, at least for Rebellion, is to say I want a single strong image. Something you can see from across the room. You don't even know what the can is. Mm -hmm. But you see that Zilla monster. You see that sugar skull. And when I went to uh, local guy Joel Hustack, I said, I want a kung fu panda bear. <laughs> and he's like, yeah? And I'm like, I want him doing awesome kung fu shit. And here's the comic books that I want him to look like. And I handed him a stack of like comic books that I like. And, and he said, was probably just ecstatic. He was like, I can do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Yeah, it's cool when people have awesome ideas like that. Um, yeah, I usually have plenty of ideas of my own, so I love just running with a beer name. But, uh, yeah, when, when Adam, for, for instance, comes to me with a very, like, nailed-down concept in mind, it's usually something awesome to run with and work on. So, Well, the other thing you said was you do tattoos. Yeah. The vast majority of our cans are designed by tattoo artists. I've noticed. You guys are very friendly with the folks over at Golden Spider. Right. Yeah. Mark's sleeves, yeah, the yeah. majority of his arm work is done by Adrian Ray. Oh, cool. Yeah. So then I was like, what, what the heck's going on? Why are tattoo artists so good at making beer labels? Well, I guess they're, uh, they're usually doing the majority of their tattoos on cylinder-like forms, <laughs> be it arms or legs. So maybe uh, it's easy enough to to do the same thing on a beer can. I see the one on your the one piece in your arm, and it looks like uh, Jeff Burgess. Oh man, uh, did that one? You sniped it. Well, just because I follow him on yeah yeah Instagram, he's gonna do a piece for me. So. No way. When yeah. are you in the shop? Like a few weeks. Okay. Well. Yeah. You let me know. I work at the same shop, so do you? Hopefully, I'll be there. Yeah. What a small world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm at Midnight Oil. My tattoo bed is literally next to Jeff's. Uh, and then on the other side is L, and then Hope Landry and Nolan Malbuff, and we're all in the same shop there. Well, then you would know my friend Mandy. Yeah, totally. So she's done a bunch of little tattoos for my wife. Oh, yeah. She did a little bunny rabbit. And yeah, yeah. She did my buddy Chris's bicycle tattoo. Okay. Yeah, she's getting into the, the stick and poke world. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to do, well, the plan is for her to do hops, oh. a lace of hops rolling down my Literally arm. take the hop circuit glassware. <laughs> and just wrap it around your arm, man. Kind of the same vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, what a small world. I didn't even realize it was midnight oil. It was I, a very small world. I guess I got to admit I didn't do my proper due diligence and, and research. What do you mean? You didn't research me, man? <laughs> I mean, I Google, but. Just well, you can, you can do it after. Didn't come up. <laughs> I mean, I also enjoy the idea of discovering while we're in the discussion. Yeah, I think there's probably... Uh, a lot of people that come on the podcast that uh, use up all the good conversation before the episode. So can't be having that. What really kills me is when I turn off the microphones after an episode and then they give me all the tea, all <laughs> the, the dirt. Yeah. yeah. Just like, why did you wait to say that after the mics were off? <laughs> yeah. You know, you gotta be, uh, you gotta bring your game face. You gotta get focused. You gotta warm up beforehand. Talk to yourself in the mirror, I guess. Maybe uh, 
<laughs> have a few cold ones beforehand. Speaking of cold ones, yeah. Speaking of putting on your game face, yeah. I wanted to introduce our audience to a beer that at this recording has not yet released. Well, it's called Strength of the Herd. It's a features a bison on the can, and proceeds from the sale of this, I believe, are going to be going to cover uh, or donated to bison conservation in Saskatchewan. Whoa. You ready to give her? I'm ready to give her. Okay, it's 4.2%. Cheers. Cheers. We just canned it last week. I like that a lot. This is another, speaking of highly crushable beers, this is a highly crushable beer. They came to us and they said, we want to do a custom beer, but we're not fancy and we don't want to go crazy. We don't want tons and tons of hops. We yeah. just want an easy, smooth drinking beer. Yeah. This is a beer that I I'm I want to drink it in a legion in some small ass southern Saskatchewan town with a bunch of people I don't know that are probably wearing cowboy boots. You know? Do you think it's a cowboy beer? I think it's uh, it's not a cowboy beer. It's a rancher beer. Rancher beer. Yeah. What's the? It's not crushable. It's stompable. <laughs> stompable. Highly stompable. You know, the very first day I had it, I was eating really, really spicy uh, Mexican food, kind of hurting myself. Yeah. And it was so creamy, and so soft and gentle and smooth. I think it's actually gentle beer pulled back. It's a little <laughs> drier than I remember. Maybe that that spice and that heat made it taste a little sweeter. I'm not really good at the whole uh, describing beers thing or talking about notes, but I would, I would argue that this is a malt forward approach. Yeah, my am, am I fair in saying so? Very correct. All right. Yeah, there's there's no hop forwardness in this beer. It's no, showcasing the grain. What hops? Yeah. Are they, so? What are the hops in this beer? I don't even know. They didn't tell me. Um, I know there's. It's like answer the question. It's below Matthew. ten IBU. That's what we we discussed beforehand. Okay. I was like, what what's the ratings or what's the kind of the tail of the tape on this beer? And they said it's lower than ten IBU. A friendly, gentle beer. Yeah. One for the range. <laughs> <laughs> or the paddock. Stompable. Stompable. Did you know they have bison paddocks in all these little provincial parks all over the place? You can go look at wild ranging bison. There's one in Buffalo Pound, apparently. I haven't been. I guess it makes sense. Now I'm thinking about the name of that park, and I'm feeling like an idiot. Uh, there's also one in Winnipeg, in Fort White, I believe it's called. You can go see those guys in Riding Mountain National Park. They're all over the place. When I was a journalist, we had to travel across Saskatchewan, so I did see some Saskatchewan bison. Right. Grasslands, I guess, too. They, they got them at Grasslands. Right. The dark sky preserves there too. Yeah, and the uh, have you physically seen a bison in person? Oh yeah. So you, you know how huge they are. They're massive. Like the si <laughs> size of a, a truck. They're terrifying. Like they would kill you. Mm -hmm. if, yeah. If they felt like it. If they yeah, if they wanted to, and if they woke up and chose violence that day, they they would make you their their uh, what's the word? Bitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they turn you into a fine paste in the field. Yeah, a little bison paste. I remember reading stories about the the herds would be stomping and it felt like an earthquake. Mm -hmm. And the ground would rumble and that would be like for a mile off. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't even see them. You could, you could feel oh, yeah. them. Oh, another one. Waterton. They have a bison paddock in Waterton National Park. Have you been there? No. It's beautiful. 
me and my buddy Jesse were driving our our SUV around the Bison Paddock, and there was there were very clear signs to not get out of the vehicle, and we chose to get out of the vehicle and go up to and approach a Bison. And it didn't last super long because both of us just ended up being super terrified. We got back in the vehicle and we kept going. But, yeah, they are majestic beasts and they are massive and they are truly terrifying. <laughs> the sign told us not to. The bro. sign told us not to. We did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah A very understaffed park. I think you got lucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Seriously, though, you got to check out Waterton. It's like the only park in the Rockies where you have this super abrupt transition between prairie and Rockies. There's no foothills. You literally go up in these mountains and you're on the summit and you're looking out at what looks just like Saskatchewan. You can see for hundreds of miles, but you're on top of a mountain. There's just this like wall. What's that feeling? Um, Like, what does it feel like? Uh, Probably what it feels like to be standing face to face with a bison. In awe. In awe. Terrified. Fearing for your life. I don't know if you feel this. Uh, when I'm driving through the mountains in BC, and you're, you're driving, and uh, they're kind of all up around you, I felt very uh, claustrophobic mm. and penned in. I didn't like it. I didn't realize uh, how much having open skies was my comfort level. You're from here? Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised. And anytime I go into the mountains or driving in the mountains, uh, it's, I feel claustrophobic. Mm. I f- I'm like, what if these things collapse and rock slides and all that stuff? I feel like I'm going to get hit in the head of the rock. It's, it's a very oppressive uh, feeling. Yeah. And I, I don't feel great until I'm back kind of further out into Alberta, yeah, yeah. closer to Calgary, yeah. and then it's back into open plains, and then I yeah. feel like I'm back in my uh, natural place of being. I think I'm the opposite, man. I, I feel like the mountains are this security blanket. And, uh, yeah, but there is one thing that I feel like if I lived in the mountains, I would miss. I'd miss a good thunderstorm. They don't get the same kind of thunderstorm? No, they don't get the same quality of thunderstorms out there. Out here, you can, I mean, and you can see it for miles around if you get a good thunderstorm here, you know, and you can feel it. They can't? Well, no, my, my, uh, I have a lot of family out in BC and they're all like, they're from Manitoba originally. That's where I'm from. And they're all like, we miss the thunderstorms. We miss the thunderstorms. So, yeah, I feel like, uh, you can probably get a good thunderstorm, but only if it's in the same vicinity. You can't feel it if it's, you know, a pretty, good distance away there is a nice comfort to the rain and the thunder that rolling kind of yeah yeah and it's different in the mountains i never even thought about it like that well but the mountains have advantages too man yeah like you don't get totally ravaged by mosquitoes most of the time there's not wind in the same like it's been so windy here yeah it's been stupid windy you go to the mountains you don't get the same the same ferocious Eye-watering, unending <laughs> dust storm, and it's it's like this every spring. Like we forget it, and then winter comes to an end, and we're so excited to get outside. And then you get outside, and it's just like a dust bowl, and there's wind blowing in your face, and you're crying, and the pollen explosion. The pollen explosion, yeah. And then you probably have allergies, and then you go you go back inside, <laughs> and you wait it out. That's what living here is like. It's just you wait it out. You don't know what it is. 
but on any particular day, you just wait it out. My little guy had a drone, a little toy drone on the deck yesterday. And it, as it took off, there was a plume of yellow <laughs> pollen and dust whipping off the deck. That's gross. And then we had a big gust hit the trees and they kind of shook and it just, a big plume just Whoa. came right at us. It, it was, you could touch it. Whoa. That's how thick it was. And you have superpowers now. Super allergies. <laughs> yeah, super allergies. <laughs> Okay, but so I, you live... I think the open sky is freeing, but if you find the mountains cozy, I don't blame you. I find both cozy. I think I can be comfortable in both environments. Yeah. I don't feel claustrophobia in the mountains. I think, yeah, I feel comfortable with with mountains or prairie. But I guess there's other regions too, aren't there? Yeah. Forests? Oceans? Yeah, the boreal forest. Boreal forest? Like, you, you drive up to PA in the Prince Albert National Park. It is gorgeous. And then I, it makes me humble to think about how there's, we're so vast a space and a place that there's different ecosystems. Yeah. And when you cross into that kind of forest, boreal forest ecosystem, the, the air changes. It's, like, humid. Yeah. And you're not, you know you're not in the same place. It's anymore. a trip. It's great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I didn't realize this until recently. I'm from Winnipeg originally, and it's like so much more humid there just because of the rivers, and obviously Lake Winnipeg is like right there. But uh, it is not humid here, like at all. You can have a super hot summer, and it is just dry as hell. And you go back to, to well, when I go back to Winnipeg in the summer to visit family, I'm just like dying. It just, it it's like, it feels so much hotter because you're sweating through every layer of clothing. You're just dying. Yeah. But yeah, it makes you, it makes you want air conditioning way more. I feel like I, I don't, yeah, I don't uh, need the relief, the same relief here. The, uh, the one thing I noticed about Vancouver with the humidity on that track is uh, my socks were always wet. Like I would hang them up at nighttime. Okay. Cause they were wet. And in the morning I'd have like a fresh pair of socks and they were damp. I was like, is this is this what it's like for people in Vancouver all the time? Just where were you walking? Soggy. Uh, we started off. We were actually downtown by Hastings. And so just we pavement all over. Yeah, we were just, just crushing pavement. Raw city. Yeah. And you were you got damp socks. It, everything was just soggy. Hmm. I love Vancouver, but I don't know if I'd want to live there because of the the humidity. I like the humidity. I uh, I don't love the cost of living. Oh. Yeah, that that's just it's terrible. <laughs> that's why my buddy just moved back from right. Vancouver, right? He he said he just couldn't afford it. Jeff Burgess, your boy, he used to live live in Vancouver, and he kind of moved back for the same reasons. <laughs> you can't build a life out there. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna bring you guys some beer on the day I come in for my session. We would love that. We would love that. You let me know. Uh, email me prior. Like, I'll, well, maybe I'll email you, and I'll just yeah. be like, "What do you feel like?" Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff and I love, we, well, we actually co-designed a label together for Malty. Did you ever try Space Gator? Yeah. Yeah, so Jeff and I worked on that one together. Yeah, it was a, it was a super fun experience working on that label with him, yeah. What was that other one? Uh, Mars something. There's like a couple Mars beers that they did. At Malty? Yeah. A See, this, this is the hard thing. If you're a Malty fan, it's hard to keep up. It always changes. It always changes. It's, I love the model coming out with new beers all the time. 
but uh, it's hard to keep up. I never get the same thing twice, pretty much. It's always what's new, what's new, what's new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with some exceptions, I'm the same way. But love Elgato, love uh, Sean Paul. I love sports is good. The beer for sports. The beer for sports. The beer for sports. Yeah, we redesigned that one, too. That was fun. Why? Um, they were getting it contract brewed at District for, well, that was pre-pandemic. So when they started making it again, they just kind of, I think the label manufacturer that they went with changed. So they just said, hey, do you want to take a crack at it? And uh, we took basically what they had. I think uh, Aaron Brownlee, shouts to Aaron, former multi-staffer, with a pretty good design eye. I think he initially designed that label. So I just sort of took what he had and just tweaked it. And um, I put in some cool little subtle sort of like baseball vintage style um, ligatures they'd be called yep. just sort of taking the M and the N, the N and sort of making these cool weird little details on the can and then I took a bunch of um, pictures of uh, octopus tentacles which I love and basically made them background and just uh, made them like this monochromatic sort of gradient. It's really subtle, but if you notice it, then you can't can't unsee it. Um, yeah, the only thing I wish we could have done is uh, do it in gold foil. Because gold foil, do, have you guys done any beers in gold foil? I think one of our anniversary beers okay. featured some gold, but yeah. it, apparently it's really hard with the shrink sleeve yeah. application. Yeah, yeah. We're limited to what will work. Right. Yeah, yeah it's more expensive, but boy, does it make the difference. Like we, with the first run of Champagne, with the label that I did for it, we we did gold foil, and it just, it looks so good, for such those for are stickers, such a, stickers, right? Yeah, they're stickers. Yeah, for yeah. such a like a remarkably unremarkable, as Adam likes to call it, beer. It's uh, it, the gold foil just makes it look so classy, which is the best. Yeah, but. Uh, we did the second run we didn't use gold foil and it was just missing it so we figured out a way it's more expensive for them obviously because they're ordering in smaller quantities just based on their their model so we figured out a way to order a bunch of them at the same time for different batches and uh sort of still have bulk pricing this is this is great content. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, for our shrink sleeves, we have to be very careful with the cans. Um, at one point, we got somebody else's pre-printed cans. They had they had to change. They had a la- issue with the label. They couldn't use the pre-printed cans, and they said, "Oh, wait, you have a sleever. You can throw your sleeves over top of those cans. We'll right. sell them to you for pennies on the pennies." Hmm. And so we had to test every single can and every single label we had to see what we could use these pre-printed cans for, see if it would work. Okay, so I have questions. With the shrink sleeve, do you know the mechanics of it? Like, is it this bigger printed label that they literally heat apply to the can and it shrinks down? Yes. So how much bigger is it? So I would say it's it's. At the top of the can and the bottom of the can is where the most shrinkage happens. Okay. Like you're going in the pool. Right. <laughs> yeah. A very it, cold pool. It comes on a roll, and I think there's uh, about 
1,200 labels per roll, and it's just one long contiguous tube. Okay. And they flatten it out, and they tighten it up on this roll and have it very specific like uh, size and shape and stuff. And then it comes through the machine, and there's these little things that look like razor blades, and they slice the label precisely with lasers and sensors in, in the canning sleever machine. It all happens in a fraction of a section. And then it goes through that heat tunnel, which is like bakes the label on, and you mm. just see it like shrink up. Cool. The boys did a test, and they said one time, I think they put the same can through about 30 times before the labels were way too deformed and would not slide over the can. Okay. But you could easily shrink sleeve like two or three labels onto the same can. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But it looks it looks goofy. You just want to have one label. Well, I have always wondered, I've never worked with a shrink sleeve. I've only ever done stickers. Where, where if you look at the tops, yeah. you see where we have that gradient or something? They yeah. tell us don't put anything there. That's what I was thinking. Just avoid it all cuz it just deforms and ruins the art. So the closer you get to this ridge, the closer the more distortion you get. Any like basically anywhere you see on the top of the can, you don't want to be. Right. Yeah. See, man, it's just like tattooing. If you put a stencil too close to a kneecap, too close to an elbow, too close to any joint, essentially, or an area that moves a ton on the skin, same thing. What happens? Distortion. Distortion. You're just getting these weird twists and, and pulls and stuff like that. I mean, you want you want a stencil to, you want to put it on when the body's relaxed. Yeah. Usually. So that when the body, well, it, dep- it depends on the spot. It depends on the spot, I guess, but... Okay, it's nothing like tattooing. It's not the same at all. <laughs> well, I think there's some core concepts and lessons to be applied. Mm-hmm. I, I see the sameness in many things. And when you explain that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that definitely relates. I'm seeing the similarities. Totally. I think you just, you 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 could have finished that metaphor. I, I'm really I could have finished it. I just gave up. I gave up. I ran out of words. <laughs> I ran out of words. Or maybe it's just this strength in the herd. Well, it's 4.2%. 4.2? It shouldn't rock you too hard. All right. Well, I take that personally. I guess I'm just a lightweight. Is that what you're trying to say, Matthew? <laughs> Maybe. Did you have lunch yet? No, that's the problem. There you I go. didn't have lunch. See, I didn't have lunch. I've done this a few times. I've, I had lunch first. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, ha- I started the day with uh, two peanut butter cookies and nothing else. That's all I've eaten. So. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if somebody is listening to this nonsense, hearing us talk about the open skies and beer art and stuff like that, if a business wants to come bug you or somebody wants to come get a tattoo from you, where should they go? What they, should they do? Um, I'm always down for emails. I like emails. Email is good. Uh, I have an email for my tattoo account and I have a design email. So my design email is... Brian with a Y, newfelddesign at gmail.com. And my tattoo email is bnewfeldtattoo at gmail.com. And the best way to see my work is Instagram. My website sucks, so don't even bother with it. Uh, go to Instagram. It's like the best way to, to check out my stuff. So my handle is Brian, again with a Y, Brian Newfs. So B-R-Y-A-N-N-E-U-F-S on Instagram. That's deadly. Well, thank you for your time today, man. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
Rebels, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm going to include links to all things Brian Newfeld in the show notes so you can find more online. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from across our province. You can find them at saspodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest in Sascraft beer news. Thank you for joining the Rebellion.